Good morning. Let me guess. School is back in session. You know, I don't miss much. Right here. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and uh, these guys will be glad to give you one. I'm going to take a little departure today and I'll share with you what that is as we go through. But turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in your Bible or in your mobile device. I'll trust you're not Googling or other things. Interesting, we turn the word Google into a verb. Think how often that's now used during the week as a verb. I'll just Google it. Even old coots like me are doing it. I'll just Google it. Matter of fact, we did this morning in my class, my 930 class. Somebody asked a, a question about something. I said, I bet you can Google that and find out. And, I had, and that was in the Bible, so you never know. I want to share a couple of things with you. It's really exciting, some stuff that's going on. And yesterday we had our, our monthly help day at the Bartlett campus. We do it every third Saturday of the month. And we had, and Mark, I don't know if you heard a final figure or anybody did, but it was well over 300 families. That three, I should have known Chad the engineer would have that. 355 families that we served yesterday. Uh, it's... It's amazing. It just it, the Lord is just so blessed that ministry. And I know yesterday. I, normally, I work upstairs in in the clothes closet. And, and but yesterday we were just didn't have quite enough volunteers. So I told Chris, "What do you need me to do?" And I said, "I need you to push baskets." So I was a basket pusher, and I love to do that simply because you're meeting total strangers and just get to talk to them and. And invariably, over a period of three hours, as I'm just two and a half hours pushing baskets, you go out to the parking lot, come back, push a basket with someone else, and you, know, you talk to them about where do you live, and and because they don't know, I'm a total stranger to them. I had on a Cardinals t-shirt, which is, by the way, God's team, and we now see they're coming back. So I think they're actually in if we start today, but they'll take care of that before the season's over. But that's a side note. But anyway, I'm, as I go through the line with them, asking where do you live, and this is your first time to come here, and invariably, with almost every one of them, and I know others, Steve was there doing it, a lot of you were there, as you push the basket and you talk to me, every one of them, without exception, said, we really appreciate your church doing this. Uh, it's just so, one, one lady in particular just brought me to tears, she goes, without this and food stamps, I don't eat. Now, you make that possible, and we had to get on to them yesterday, and you pray for this because this is a big deal. We have them in the auditorium, they go in there, and they get a number, and they wait their turn, and we take them and give them the food. Well, there were a number of them that were trying to skirt the system by lying about where they lived or changing addresses, and, and we do this through the Mid-South Food Bank, and we've become the largest distributor they have by far. And so we get a ton, we give away tons, and I mean that literally, of food. And uh, you'd be amazed at the clothes that we give away. Well, the Mid-South Food Bank, we have to do it by their rules, or we can't do it. And so they require that one address per family gets food, not, not five families at one address. You've got the, so Chris Ellison was in there who runs the whole thing. That's a magnificent job, uh, if Chris passes away, we're going to have to hire five people to replace him. It's just incredible all that he does. And he's got it down. He knows more about the Mid-South Food Bank than they do. 
Trust me. Same thing with Department of Human Services. He knows their manual better than they do. So he's in there trying to explain to them that if you're lying about your address or change, they're changing it on the parking lot and coming in and saying, no, this is my, and most of them were not, didn't speak English or acted like they didn't speak English. So Chris says, I need somebody to translate this into Spanish so they'll understand. And we found a young girl to translate it. Of course, we don't, Chris and I don't know whether she translated what he said or not. <laughs> they weren't laughing like they were supposed to be. So I, some people can tell a joke, some people can't. But when she got through translating, Chris just points at her and says, what she said. <laughs> but here's the deal, and here's what you really need to pray about. If they try to do that and the Mid-South Food Bank finds out, and, and so we're trying to explain to them, if you don't do it correctly, they're going to cut us off. And if they cut us off, we don't have any food to give to you. So you've got to cooperate with us. So from now on, you're going to have to have proof of address when you're to get in the database. You're going to have to come and have proof of address. So make sure they understood that and they get it right. Because if Mid-South Food Bank cuts us off, then we can get some food, but we're not going to get the tons that we're getting now for what we pay for it. So we want, obviously, this is a ministry God has blessed, and we want that to continue. So let's pray because next week when they show up, and they, next month they show up and they don't have a proof of address, we're not going to let them get food. Because if we do, I know people are going to say, well, that church is cold-blooded now. They're not giving. No, because if we do it in Mid-South Food Bank, we have to turn in reports to them. If it's not lined up, they'll just say you can't buy food here anymore. So it's, it's a big deal. You pray about it. But the reason I'm sharing it with you beyond that is I really appreciate uh, you con- you're continuing to uh, come and work. And again, if you've never done it, please come next third Saturday of every month. We really need a lot of bodies yesterday. It was a, a lot going on, a lot of people upstairs, that clothes thing. It, that's crazy. And uh, it's, I'm just blown away by the amount of clothes that go through that ministry up there. And, and uh, Sweet Janet runs that thing, and it, uh, uh, it's incredible. Because I go up and I help some sort, and, then I, and it's jammed with clothes, and I'll go up there tomorrow, and I'll look, and where'd all those clothes go? And it, they just... And, I'm, and it's another thing, when you go to the car with someone and you talk to them, and they're like in tears, I've never had clothes this nice. Some of them with tags still on them and just uh, really nice clothes. And, and again, we just thank you for supporting that. A couple of things I do want to mention to you, and then we'll, we'll get into the message. We gotta, you'll read in your, your bulletin you got today, and, and please read that. There's so much going on. Go to the website. There's a lot of things that, that you need that you can check out. We can't talk about all of them, but we're going to start a new Wednesday night program in September. don't know the exact date yet, but uh, in September, we're going to start a brand new deal. We're going to try to come together on Wednesday nights, uh, midweek, just spend some time together as a family of God, both children and students. We're going to try to do a little meal or start around 6.15. For those of you who've been in my precept Bible study on Wednesday nights, that will continue. may not be in here, but it'll be somewhere, either the parking lot or the building or the playground out back. We'll, we'll be somewhere on the property. I'll be doing a pastor's Bible study on Wednesday night. Let me make it clear. You do not have to buy the precept book to be part of that Bible study. We just want you to come on Wednesday night. I, yes, we're going to be teaching Hebrews, and we started in that. For, but just come. If you, if you want a precept book, for those of you that have been involved, you, you want a precept book and you really want to do that homework, I know how much you love doing that uh, homework. If you want a book, let me know or let Mary know and we'll write it down and, and I'll order you a book. I need to know that this week. But for all of you, you are welcome to come. 
uh, will be a small group. A couple of small groups are going to have on Wednesday night. Uh, children, students, all we're going to do all that on Wednesday night together. Just come and encourage each other in the middle of the week. We'll start that in September. But if you want a preset book, if you want me to order you a book, it's twenty-two dollars. Let me or, or Mary know today. I'd really appreciate that. Now, a couple things I want to mention to you. If you'll take your hand out and look at the message side. Is everyone looking at that? Hold it up if you have it. Does everyone have that? All right, good. You see the, the logo for the Go campaign? I know Marcus was with you last week and was sharing with you about uh, the principles behind that and the vision. And, and we, know we're, we know it's a tight uh, framework that we're working with. But we really want to take advantage of the good weather in September and October and, and go ahead. We really think that's what God wants us to do. So we're excited about it. Having said that, it's a couple of things that I need you to do. So I want you to look up here and everybody relax for a minute. Go. Okay, a few of you got it. All right. Now, in the month of September, we're going to pray for our neighborhoods. Yes, we're going to walk them. Some will drive them. Some will do neither but pray. But how many of you have the capacity to pray? Would you raise your hand? Those who didn't raise your hand, uh, see me afterwards. (laughs) You have the capacity to pray. We are not going to ask you to do something you're not comfortable with. We're not going to ask you to knock on your next door neighbor's door and ask them if you died tonight, are you going to go to heaven? Even though, no, I'm just teasing. But... My heart as your pastor is this. Here's the one thing I want us to get out of this Go campaign, if nothing else, and I think we'll get a whole, whole lot more. But here, we're not doing this just so we can get a lot of bodies in the building, and we, we pray that, that God brings more people to our both campuses. Yes. But here's my desire, my heart. I want you to start praying for your church. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I want you in your heart to ask yourself this question. How often do I pray for my church? How often do I pray for Randy? How often do I pray for Chad, Steve, and Mike, and Russ, and Rhiannon, and our other elders and our other staff that God will use them? And how often do I, am I thrilled? I want you thrilled and excited about a church that speaks the truth in love. That when people come, we know they're going to hear the word of God. We know they're going to be loved. We know it's going to be the truth. We're not going to manipulate. We're not going to twist. We're not, we're not going to put you on guilt trips. We'll let the Holy Spirit handle that. We're just going to tell you the truth. We're going to love you. And we want you to know, want our neighbors to know, that there's a place in your community, if nothing else, where you'll be loved. I'm not saying we're the only good church in town. We're not stupid. What I do know is that God is blessed. I was sharing with several of those people yesterday, and I would walk the ladies through the line, and they would ask me, who are you? And I'd say, I'm Randy. I'm the pastor of the church. And it was so funny when they would hear, they would turn to me and go, you're the pastor? And I've got a Cardinals t-shirt on and shorts, and I know they're thinking. They're like, ooh, I feel privileged. I got the pastor. So I'm thinking, listen. And so we get out to the car, and I'd say, how can I pray for you? And about 50% of them would say, hey, come over here. The pastor's going to pray for us. <laughs> and we'd get in a circle. We'd hold hands. And some of them just in tears about needs in their life. And here's what they know. They don't go to Christ church. 
I ask them, where do you live? I live in Midtown, live in uh, Horn Lake, live in Frazier. One lady says, I live in, in Galloway. She lives about a block from me. And I said, well, yeah, I live. And she goes, oh. I said, we have a campus right there in Arlington, too. I said, it's known as the church next door to Fred's. I, I said, I just want you, and they were, again, so grateful. And invariably, crying in tears, we pray for them, and they're hugging total strangers. What do they know when they leave every third Saturday, when they leave that parking lot, what's the one thing they know about Christ Church, if nothing else? I saw Dick Hunter praying with people on the parking lot. What do they know about Christ Church if they don't know anything else? These people love me. We don't ask them for anything. We don't expect anything from them. We just love them. In the name of Jesus, we love them. They come back month after month after month. Why? Because they know they're treated with respect. They're treated with love. Again, I'm not saying we're the only church that does stuff like that. It's the body of Christ. But what I'm saying is we're one that does. And you ought to be excited and thrilled about your church. Now, one more time, how many have the capacity to pray? It's good. All I'm asking you to do is pray. Let's start with that. Yes, in October, we're going to go back to those same neighborhoods and we're going to go door to door. I'm not, no one's going to expect you to knock on the door and save anybody. We're going to expect you... We're talking about our target is 30,000 homes, just a couple of zip codes. That if we don't do anything, again, but walk and pray for them, become a habit to praying for your neighbors. Jesus told us to do that. And then go back and just put something on their door about the gospel and about Christ church. You can cover a lot of homes if you're doing that. And then you start, you just keep praying. Don't stop. You keep praying. Lord, give me a chance to witness to my neighbors, to love on my neighbors. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to tell somebody Jesus loves them. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to tell somebody you've been saved. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to just let people know we care about you. You know how I met all my neighbors? I know I'm crazy and I talk to anybody. I realize that. But most of them had some kind of tragedy or an event. Next door neighbor had a birth of a child. So Mary said, let's buy him diapers. Everybody needs diapers with a newborn. I didn't think diapers, did I? What did I think? I'll just go over and say hello because they'll, they'll be glad to meet me. Mary said, you take something with you, stupid. That's the way she talks to me. It ain't right. Been married 45 years this week, and it, she ain't got it right yet. We're still trying to decide if it's going to be her or a dog. We're praying over that. But So I took some diapers over and met my next. Uh, they had a little girl, and they had like four girls now. And went over and met Jason, gave him the diapers, and now we talk all the time. We live in Ewing Place. We've got a homeowners association meeting coming up, like, this week. The meeting is this week. So he's been coming up and saying, man, you going to the meeting? I said, well, i got an elders meeting. I can't go. He said, we need to talk about this and this and this. He said, I paid my dues so I could talk this time. <laughs> and I said, that's good, man. Here's what I want you to say. I'll give you my proxy. But we've become kind of friends. We talk. You know, I'm, he's obviously young enough to be my son. We just talk about his little girls, and I've got grandkids the age of his girls, and we talk about them playing sports, and talk about he, he works for Moe's, the restaurant, we talk about him giving me free food, 
Which, by the way, he's never done. I need to, I need to bring that up. All right, so here, my, here's my heart for you. Turn to 2 Corinthians 5. And so for the next two weeks, I want to talk about as we get into get, getting prepared for our Go campaign. Here's what I want you to do. Here's an action plan and some homework for you before we get into the Word of God. So look right at me, please. If you can pray, how many of you have that capacity to pray again? Let's see. Okay, that's good. If you can pray, I want you to go to our website. Don't tell me you don't know how to go to a website. Most of you live on one. You go to the website or you email Marcus, either one, mvanevery at ccbartlett.org, and say, I want to sign up for the Go campaign. You can go to our website, click on Go campaign. It'll be an easy place for you to sign up. And then Marcus is going to get in touch with you about some training on how we want to pray. Again, if you're not comfortable going up to somebody, you don't have to. Tell you a quick story, and I promise we're going to get into 2 Corinthians 5. I shared this with Bartlett last week. I walk, I live in Ewing Place, as I said. So every night I walk about a half a mile, mile, depending on what I've done that day. And I'll leave my house and I'll start walking, and I'll pick a different street, and I'll walk down that street. And I just, and now I've started praying for the houses as I walk. So I'm walking down, and you never know what God's going to do. So I'm just walking down the back, I live on the back road, Aubrey Ranch, and I'm just walking down Aubrey Ranch, getting ready to decide which street I'm going to go up that night. And I hear this voice. It wasn't God. You can relax. It says, Pastor Randy! Pastor Randy! Well, it's obviously a child, and I look, there's this little boy running at me. I have no idea who the little boy is. But he knew who I was. And he came over, and he had a friend with him, and the friend had a dog, a beautiful little husky puppy. And he came, he said, I'm going to tell my mama I saw you. I sure wish I knew who his mama was. <laughs> I said, well, thanks, man. It's really... I said, do you live here? He goes, no, I live down at the end of the street at the stop sign. So now I know where he lives. And so I said, all right, man, I'll see you. I, start, I walk down to my end. I make my curve, my circle. I'm coming back. And I hear, Pastor Randy, Pastor Randy. And I look up, and he said, could you catch the dog? The little dog's running, beautiful little puppy. So I get down, you know how you, you call a dog? Come on, boy. That's why I call Mary, too. Come on. She hates it when I make that sound. So anyway, come here, boy. Come here. Come on. Well, he comes over and jumps up in my lap, and I'm thinking, I ain't giving this dog back. Uh, Mary's had 44 years. That's it. So they come over, and I, get, and I told the other boy it was his dog, and I said, man, you need to put your dog on a leash because it, it's dusk and it's gray and the car's not going to see your puppy and he might get hit. And the other little boy said, all right, Pastor Randy, we're going to do that. Now, I didn't do anything, did I? Except be what? Just nice. Just nice. He knew who I was, didn't he? So yesterday we're doing the help day. I went in the gym, they were handing out food and I'm, I'm going through the line, pushing my basket and I hear this voice. Again, not God. <laughs> Pastor Randy. Pastor Randy. And this was clearly an adult voice. And I turned and it was his mama. She goes to the Bartlett campus, lives at the end of my street. I didn't know that. Or the next street up. I didn't know that. But I can be a neighbor to anybody, can I? That's why Jesus told that parable, by the way, of the Good Samaritan. 
All he did was what a person should do. He just loved on somebody who was hurting. So here's what I'm asking you. Just commit to pray. Go sign up and tell Marcus, I want to be a prayer person. And then let's see what happens. Maybe you're one of those, because we're going to have a bunch of people come stuff bags. 30,000 bags, a lot of bags. Somebody's got to put the stuff in them. I got arthritis. You, you can stuff a, how many of you can stuff a bag? Don't lie. All right, 2 Corinthians 5. What I want to look at, as I said, starting last week and this week, and obviously we'll be in the same handout next week. But as we go, we're going to go as representatives of Jesus Christ. We want to be like him. Loving, compassionate, caring, interested in where those people are, who they are. As Marcus was sharing with you last week, the whole the principles of this Go campaign is that it's going to be, I want it, we want it to be personal for you. It's for all of us. We are the body of Christ. You might be an arm, you might be a leg, you might be an armpit, you might be a toe, but you're part of the body that meets it. It's Christ Church, two campuses, one church. We want to reach out as that church in the love of Jesus Christ. But it's personal for all of us. It's a partnership we all share together. It is God's plan for us to do this. And please, if you get nothing else out of this, please get this. How many of you, you don't have to mention names, you don't even have to raise your hand if you don't want to. How many of you have some neighbor somewhere that you might struggle with a little bit? God's blessed us. We've got great neighbors. But it's interesting to listen to them complain about each other. Like one of my neighbors was complaining to me about another neighbor who I really like. We've become just buddies and he's getting ready to move. And I hate to see him move. But he was talking about he didn't like how many cars he had parked over there. And he didn't, you know, he didn't kill enough weeds. And, and I thought, you know, I wanted to say, but he's really a nice guy. So I tried to work that into the conversation. But here's what you need to understand. And somebody reminded me of this this week and So true. Every person you encounter, whether you like them or not, how many of you have family members you struggle with? Woo. I know I, (laughs) I know I do. But sometimes you just want to, oh. Here's what we need to know. No matter who it is, neighbor, co-workers, uh uh-oh, he's meddling now. Family members. Whoever it might be, you will never encounter another human being that Jesus, number one, did not die for, and number two, does not love. Jesus loves them, and here's what we need to communicate to them. Christ Church loves you too. We love you. We're not going to agree on every little thing, but we're going to agree on the important things, and we're going to love you. No strings attached, not conditional, unconditional, sacrificial, unselfish love. That's a description of Jesus Christ. And by the way, we're Christians. What the word means in the original, you know why they started calling Christians Christians at Antioch? It means they're little Christs. We call them, they're like Jesus. It's a great thing to be called, isn't it? 
So we need to understand that as we go, we go as representatives of Christ. So here's what I want our focus to be today. We're going to talk about this interesting theological term. We're going to begin to walk through it this week and next week. And the term is reconciliation. We need to understand that as we look into the eyes of those people, the faces, kids, adults, students, whoever it might be, as we look into their faces, as we interact with them, we need to always understand how much God loves them and how important they need to be to us. I read a survey this week about, it's a little depressing for me as a pastor, but it's so true. It was a survey about how people come to know Jesus, how they come to Christ, come to faith in Jesus Christ, or born again, saved, or whatever term you want to use, how they come to Christ and give their life to Christ. You know what the percentage was of those that come because of their pastor? Take a guess, anybody. <laughs> Thank you. No. Appreciate that, though. Seven percent. Seven percent. And that's number two on the list. Percentage. You know what number one was? Somebody they know well. Family member or a close friend. And that was 75 percent. If you're a parent, understand how important it is that your kids see Jesus in you. You share Jesus. You live Jesus with your neighbors, people you work. What, what do people expect the preacher to talk about when he shows up? Man, he's paid to talk about God. Of course he's going to talk about God. That's why I won't, like when I was going through the line, I said, look, my name's Randy. Don't, you know, he kept calling me. Pastor, pastor, I appreciate that. I want you to know Randy. A joke with Marcus last week called me Brother Randy. I don't like to be called brother. <laughs> or Reverend. I appreciate that I do. But 75% of people who have come to know Jesus Christ is because somebody they know and or love shares Christ with them. You understand why it's important that we all do it? That we're all part of this? 75%. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21, is all about reconciliation, the need for reconciliation because of man's original sin, what happened in the Garden of Eden. That's why we have to be reconciled to God, because Adam and Eve lost that with original sin, paradise lost. The mediator of reconciliation, it's the plan of God. He said, this is what I'm going to do after Adam and Eve's original sin, which caused the need for reconciliation. Then God said, they tried, remember they tried to cover themselves up because of their shame? They tried in their own effort to cover it. The word in Hebrew is atonement, which also means reconciliation, to be at peace with God. That's what it means. Adam and Eve tried to do it in their own efforts. We've talked about this a million times. When you get around to asking your neighbors, and you will, if you die tonight, would you go to heaven? What is going to be most people's answer? I hope so. God said, Adam and Eve were doing the best they could. People you talk to, I'm doing the best I can. I hope it's good enough. And what God said to Adam and Eve is, no, no, that's not good enough. 
Blood had to be spilled to get an animal skin to cover their shame, their guilt because of their sin. Atonement, that's what the word, it's a covering. The blood of Christ covers us, so we are atoned for. We're reconciled to God. It's God's plan. He initiated it to cover the sin of Adam and Eve. God's plan. He sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross to take my place, the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. He took Randy's place because Randy cannot pay the debt he owes. It's too much. My sin debt. Not how many sins I've committed. That Yes, that's bad, and that's a lot. That's not what it means. It's just by nature, that's who I am. I'm a sinner, and it's a debt I cannot atone for, so Jesus atoned for it at the cross because his sacrifice satisfied God's demand. That's what propitiation, that big word you see in the Bible, that's what it means. Jesus' death satisfied God's demand. Somebody's got to pay for Randy's sin. Jesus said, I got it. That's what we had to share in love with our neighbors. God's plan. The instrument was Jesus Christ. The price that was paid for reconciliation was the death of the Son of God. That's why Peter writes this. We were redeemed not with silver or gold, not with corruptible things like that, silver and gold, but by the precious blood of the Son of God. More valuable than silver or gold. And then the result of reconciliation, and this is what's so beautiful, why this is so important. The result of reconciliation is that we because we're at peace with God through Jesus Christ, we enter into a new relationship with God. We become his children. God doesn't use words by accident. He calls himself father for a reason. We all understand that relationship. He calls us his children for a reason. We're called the bride of Christ for a reason. All relational terms, all relationship-oriented. We j- I joked about it a moment ago, but when I look at Mark Wolfock, or, or Darren Brady, or Steve Nance, or Russ Bingham, Ella Thorne, these sweet girls here. Ella's my granddaughter, but you know what else she is? She's my sister in Christ. Mary is my wife, but she's also my sister in Christ. You're my brother. You're my si- we understand those terms. And God's Set it up that way. The first institution God ever created was marriage, relationship. I was doing premarital counseling with a couple this week, and and I'm going to be doing their wedding in September. And when I do premarital counseling, the first question I always ask them, and I've told you this before, is I look at them. I mean, they're 20, 25, dumber and dirt, just like I was at 19 when I got married. Fortunately, my wife wasn't dumber and dirt, but I was. We didn't have any premarital counseling. We just had her telling me what to do. We've made it 45 years. I guess we're going to be all right as soon as I get a dog. But first question I always ask him is I sit them down in my office and I say, I'll have them look at each other. I said, are you in love? Now, what's their thought? Not what do they say, but what's their thought? What, idiot? We're getting married. Of course we're in love. Then I have them 
try to explain what that means. Tell me why you love him. You know what they're going to say, don't you? He's my best friend. That's a good thing. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. And then I'll say, define how God looks at love. And then they'll always say, you go first. (laughs) But it's so important. We understand relationships, marriage, father, mother, sister, brother. We understand relationships. So God wants us to understand that's what reconciliation is all about. Not turning over a new leaf, I'm going to be really good, I'm going to go to church now. The church I grew up in, that's the way it was. You don't ever miss church, and you better be good. And by the way, you better give. Because if you don't, God's going to get you. But then I got saved, and I began to learn, and I began to grow, and I began to understand that for God, we're precious. We're special. We're his children. That's why Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of God. And then he said, you want to come? You come as a child. Trust me. Know I'm going to take care of you. So as we go, we want to understand reconciliation. The word reconciliation occurs five times in verses 17 through 21. It's the closest biblical synonym that we have for atonement, what we were just talking about, the covering of our sin. That's what reconciliation is. It brings us back to peace with God. Jesus, the Passover lamb, makes it possible He exchanges, and this is what's so beautiful, we'll get to here next week. He exchanges his life of righteousness for my life of sin and declares me righteous before God. I don't deserve that. I can't earn that. That's what grace is. That's what mercy is. Mercy is not giving me what I deserve, punishment for my sin. Grace is giving me Jesus Christ who took the punishment for my sin and declaring me right with God because of Jesus. So look at the context, verse 14, chapter 5, verse 14. The love of Christ compels us, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, Corinth, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, Christ, then all died. He died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. My motivation as a Christian, our motivation as the body of Christ, our motivation as Christ's church. Notice verse 14, the love of Christ compels us constrains us is the old word that's used. It means it's what drives me to do this. Why do we want to share Christ with our neighbors in Arlington and Bartlett and wherever we live? Why do we want to share Christ with them? Because we could say we got so many people in the church? No. Why do we want to share the love of Christ with them? Because we know it. We've experienced it. We do it because we love them. We want them to understand how much God loves them. Look at verse 15 again. He died for all, that those who live, those of us who are born again specifically, should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. 
So notice that first motivation. Once I'm born again, because I understand the love of God in Jesus Christ, and I am overwhelmed by that, and I can still remember the day I got saved at age 16 in that little room, sitting in a little wooden church chair, when I suddenly realized what it meant that God loved Randy. I was overwhelmed by that. Couldn't wait to give my life to Christ and tell people about it, what he'd done for me. And so what happens is, what God wants to happen, because I understand the love of God and he saved me, that compels me to no longer live for Randy, but to live for Jesus, number one. But then number two is in verse 16. Therefore, because I have been saved, because I want to live for Jesus, I'm dead to self, I live unto him. Therefore, from now on, from this moment forward, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, we now know him thus no longer. My security, my self-worth, my purpose in life, my reason for existence once I'm a Christian, it's not Randy. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And what verse 16 is talking about is so important, specifically and applicably to what we're talking about with this Go campaign. Is I love my name, I don't, I no longer, we'll get to verse 17 in a moment, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I no longer look at people simply as in the flesh, human beings. I looked at Jesus, he's saying, we saw Jesus, yes, in the flesh. But once we're born again, we realize it's so much more than that. Not just the greatest man that ever lived, not just the person who died on the cross, but he is my Lord, my Savior, my God, who's given me sense of purpose, security, self-worth. A reason to get up in the morning is because I'm a Christian. I want other people to know that. And when I die, I go to heaven, paradise, all of those things. So I live for Jesus. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. My favorite verse. But then the next point is verse 16. I no longer regard people just as people in the flesh. Whatever that relationship might be, I have with them. Whether it's a friend, a family, a neighbor, or a work, whatever it might be. I now regard them as somebody that Jesus died for. Somebody that I care about. Somebody that I want to share Christ with. So, Number one on your handout, and it's all we're going to cover today. Woo! Got to that. So we go, verse 17. We go as new creations in Christ. Verse 17. One of the greatest verses in the whole Bible. Therefore, in light of the love of God, in light of me being born again, in light of me seeing people differently now, seeing Jesus differently because I am a Christian, in light of all of that, therefore... From that, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that's us, Christians, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Here's the context. It's so important. If anyone's in Christ, you know what that means? Old things have passed away. All things have become new. There's hope for who? Everybody. Think for a moment. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.17 and tell me who wrote those words. What was his name? Take a stab. If it's in the New Testament, you guess one name, you're probably going to be right. Paul wrote it. We've been studying Acts. Prior to being the Apostle Paul, what was his name? Saul of Tarsus. What was his attitude toward Jesus? 
He was the number one enemy of the followers of Jesus Christ. He sought them out to have them killed in prison. They lost their standing in the community. They lost their uh, method of income. They lost everything. He was the executioner. He hated anything to do with Jesus Christ. He was the number one enemy, and he got saved. He became the apostle to the Gentiles. He wrote a third of the Bible. Pretty significant man in in history, right? If he could get saved, who else can? Me? You? Anybody you know? Anybody? Now, some people are thinking, no, no, listen, you don't know my brother. I got two of them. You know how long I've been praying for my two siblings? Forty? No. Forty? Yeah, that's right. Forty-eight years. Forty-eight years. I've been praying for my two siblings. They're not Christians yet. Is there hope for them? Sure is. Why? Because there's hope for me. That's why we go. Because there's hope for everybody in your neighborhood. Everybody. Even that guy nobody likes. There's hope for everybody. Any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. I'm a new creation because I'm in Christ. By the way, the new here doesn't mean at a point in time, even though that's true. I got saved on April 19th, 1970, that moment in time I gave my life to Christ. That's not what it's talking about. Yes, I became a new creation that day. But God knew about me for all eternity. That's not what it means. It means new. The Greek essence of it means new in quality. In quality. In other words, prior to my redemption, I was lost. I was an enemy of God. I was separated from God. I was bound for eternity, separated from him. Then I was born again. I'm given life in Christ. Any man to Christ, he's a new creation. New in quality. Romans chapter 6 and Ephesians 4, the Bible says this. Knowing this, our old man was crucified with him. Jesus, that the body of sin might be done away with or rendered inoperative, that we should no longer be slaves of sin or owned by sin. Sin owned me before I was a new creation. Who owns me now? Jesus does. My Savior does. He saved me. He bought me out of the slave market of sin and set me free. And for 12 years, I've stood behind this podium and told you, What sets you free? Truth. And if truth sets you free, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. And then Ephesians 4, that you put on the new man who was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Look at verse 17 again. It's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. I love this. It taught me years ago. And I will never forget, I don't even remember the guy's name, but he taught me this verse. It meant so much to me, it still does. He said, Randy, here's what you need to understand. And we're going to do this, and then we're going to share the Lord's Supper together. Old things have passed away. All things have become new in quality. And here's what he said, here's what it means. You get a new set of eyes. Prior to being a Christian, I would look at John Thomas, and I would see John Thomas. Nice guy, like John, friend. But then I get saved. Now I look at John Thomas, nice guy, friend, enjoy being around him. But I wonder where he is spiritually. 
See the difference? Because I now care about him more than just enjoying him. You see, most relationships on earth are based reciprocally. What can you give to me based on what I can give to you? That's not the way Christians do life. We look at each other and we look at total strangers like, how can I love that person because I'm a new creation? I got new eyes. I don't see the same anymore. The Lord has set me free and I want to love people. That's why we go. Because God loves them, so do we, and we are new creations in Christ. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, we pause before you now as the one who gave us life, both physically and spiritually in Jesus Christ, as Christians. And Lord, as we as believers enter into a time of sharing the fellowship and the Lord's Supper communion, we want to remember the blood and the body of Jesus Christ, that through that sacrifice, we get new eyes. We are reconciled to you, brought back into the way it should be. We have a relationship with you as our Father. Lord, give us those eyes opened to see our neighbors that way that each of us examines our own life as we share the Lord's Supper together, and then we leave here to go share that with our neighborhoods. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.